Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life, and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. Welcome to today's episode of The Psychedelic Mom. I'm here today with Tommy Rosen, who is an internationally renowned yoga teacher, meditation instructor, and addiction recovery expert with over 30 years of continuous recovery from addiction. Welcome here today. Thank you so much. I'm literally delighted, delighted to be here. I'm so happy to see you. This is such a big topic for our times. There's more and more of addiction in the world and more people looking for help and understanding of what addiction is. You're the founder of Recovery 2.0, which is a global organization dedicated to inspire and unite people. And you're also really interested in the intersectionality of recovery and spirituality. The, the simplest way I can put it for people is that as a yogi and a yoga teacher, I started to discover the connection, the many connections between recovery and the work of recovery, meaning the 12 steps is one example, but recovery overall, that process is a process of moving from darkness into light. Yoga is a process of moving from darkness into light. It's really actually doing the same thing. When you bring the two together, it unlocks a lot of opportunity and a lot of potential. And I find that people who really come at recovery holistically like this, using yoga, meditation, breath work, diet, immersions in nature in beautiful places, and also working the 12 steps, I think are genius. There's just genius in there. But this, this process or this perspective of looking at everything as yoga, literally everything, all processes that move us forward, that move us into health and well-being are in a sense yoga. We then look at each of the processes from the yogic standpoint. So I'm looking at the 12 steps, this beautiful system from the yogic standpoint. And what that does is it changes, it really changes the whole game. You start to see things from a much broader perspective. The practices in addition of yoga and, and breath work and meditation are extraordinary compliments to the process of recovery. So we like to say, don't just survive, thrive. And we believe that this is certainly an approach that leads to people thriving. So let's define how you would define addiction. And for anybody who's wondering, like, do I have an addiction? We've covered a lot of different addictions on this podcast from food addiction to porn addiction, alcohol use disorder, heroin addiction. So we've kind of tapped into this field of what people go through. So could you speak a little bit about how you would define addiction? Most people, when they hear the word addiction, they think about some kind of substance abuse. So she drinks too much. She's an alcoholic. Or these days we'd use the, the term substance use disorder. Or he's doing heroin. He's a heroin addict. Or, or that person smokes cannabis. They're a cannabis addict. You know, for me, addiction is any behavior, any behavior that you continue despite it bringing negative consequences into your life. The most obvious behaviors are related to drugs, alcohol, food, people, like relationships or sex addiction, um, money, shopping, gambling, overspending, being constantly in a state of debt. We would even consider that an addiction. Or uh, technology. 
So those are the big six. Those are the biggest places that we see people struggling in, in addictive behaviors. Beyond that, though, you have what I call the four aggravations. That's negative thinking, self-doubt, procrastination, and resentment. Now, people often say to me, well, Tommy, those are not addictions in the sense that I don't crave those things. I don't crave negative thinking. I don't crave procrastination, you know. And I say it's true, those problems that we struggle with, those aggravations, they don't have a craving element to them, but they fit my definition. I like that because those, there's like a hook to negative thinking that hooks you and draws you in. So why do you like those and how do those fit your definition to add those? Well, again, any behavior that you continue despite it bringing negative consequences into your life, just look around you at anyone you've ever met or when you or, or I or anyone has been stuck in negative thinking, it's, it's part of the human condition. We can say that when we were stuck in negative thinking, life wasn't going too well. It was incredibly painful, incredibly painful. And these days, negative thinking takes a thousand different forms. For example, judgment, condemnation, any kind of negativity towards people, places, and things where it just keeps you stuck in this very low, I'd just say a low vibration, if you will, a low frequency. And it's very hard to be happy. It's impossible to be happy if you're stuck in negative thinking. Very, it's impossible to find contentment, gratitude, and those things are so, so important and central to our, our well-being. So for sure, that's an addiction to me. People struggle with the idea of, well, I'm not, I'm not continuing that behavior. It happens to me. And there I would say, no, 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 no. Very important that you understand right away that your negative thinking is yours. It's your creation. You're working it. You're building it. You're continuing it. And if you don't see that, then absolutely get on the path of yoga and let's get some meditation going and you'll start to see how you are not your mind, but how you are very much responsible for your inner reality as much as you are for your outer reality. Wow. So for someone who is defining themselves and looking and saying, well, I only drink this much or I only drink, I only smoke cannabis once a day. How would you help them determine whether they have a problem? Because a lot of times when people have these behavioral patterns, whether it is the negative thinking, whether it is going for the continual drink or whatever the substance is. The question that people often ask is, do you think I'm an alcoholic? Do you think I'm an addict? How can I tell what are the signs? And I say, Let's ask a different question. How am I doing? Is this behavior serving me in some way? And how? And while we're at this analysis, what is this behavior taking from my life, from my joy? Much better question. I wish we didn't have the word addiction. I think it gets in the way. To build upon this idea, when people come to me and they say, can you help me to, to determine, do you think I'm an addict? Really what they're looking for is a diagnosis and they want the diagnosis to be no, 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 you're not an addict. Oh, thank God. Thank God I'm not an addict because now I can continue to drink. Now I can continue to do my little cannabis once a day or whatever it is. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking this person hasn't yet been shown the upgrade to those particular behaviors. Why do we need an upgrade? You need an upgrade because you're asking the question, am I an addict? Am I an alcoholic? You need an upgrade because there is a consequence to you using substances in that way. Keep in mind, I used substances of every kind and ultimately became a severe drug addict for 11 years of my life. I look at addiction as part of the human condition. And I believe that everybody is under the influence. Everybody. Those influences may be less severe or more severe. But nonetheless, what we're interested in is thinking clearly, having engagement in the world, meaning and purpose, great relationships, and health and wellness. Everybody is interested in these things. And so if you're engaged in using drugs and alcohol, ultimately, I believe those things get in the way. But it may not seem that way to you if you're using them because it's the best you have. It's, it's what you know. And no one has yet been able to present to you or you haven't discovered like the massive upgrade to that, 
to using drugs and alcohol. It's such, it's so massive. And I just want people to know that. It's called awake, uh, not woke, <laughs> very different. It's called being a conscious human being, having your empowerment, having your health and wellness and being out of the frequency of addiction. I started smoking cannabis when I was 13 and I basically had a, a love dislike and then a love hate relationship with it. And then ultimately a hate relationship with it at the very end, at the very end. So that, that went 11 years, 12 years. So what did the hate relationship look like? I'm out of control. I don't want to do this. I can see so clearly that I've become dependent upon this thing for all my experiences and my emotional state and everything was dependent upon it. And it was so disempowering. So when I would run out, I mean, really drugs are not a problem for people who are doing them until they run out of those drugs. And so you have this experiment. It's like, if you've been smoking cannabis every day, you, you get an opportunity when you run out, it's like, or you decide to stop for a little while, you might notice some ir irritability. You might notice, wow, I'm, I don't feel well. I'm not thinking clearly. I'm really uncomfortable in my own skin. Wow, I'm overwhelmed by emotions and life, or you feel stress, or you feel anxiety, or you feel depression. And you think, because you've been trained to think, this thing is the answer to that depression, that anxiety, that stress. And now you, you realize, wow, you can write it off as saying, oh, this is medicine. This is the medicine I need to get through life. And that's an incredibly unfortunate thing to believe, because now you're really stuck. But outside of that, that thought of this is medicine, you might recognize Without this thing, I don't seem to operate too well, or I'm not operating, I'm not realizing my hopes and my dreams. It seems to be getting in the way of my life in some way. And I have so much compassion because I was there for so many years. And I, I would wake up and there were days when I just didn't want to do it. I'd be like, oh God, this has to stop. I don't want to smoke pot today. And then I'd wake up and a series of things would sort of take place and I just slide into that first joint of the day or slide into that bong hit or go out with some friends and they were partying. And I was like, oh, well, I, I mean, we're going to go on a hike. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Wouldn't that hike be better with cannabis? And everything, everything would be better with cannabis. And then all of a sudden you're looking at a sunset one day and you didn't smoke pot before it. And you're like, eh, I can't really access the joy and the wonder of life. And I hate it. And I know it. But the problem is, is I don't know, I haven't been shown anything else. What will I, if I, if I let go of cannabis, cause I feel now like I kind of need to, what will I be? Who will I be? What will I do? Almost a fear of dullness. Absolutely. I love that. A fear of dullness, a fear of, of not belonging, a fear of being alone, mm. a fear of separation, of disconnection. And a fear of just the, the pain of existence, which you've never been able to manage or deal with without drugs and alcohol in some way, or some other addictive behavior. So for me, that went on. I, my, my drug use escalated. We don't need to get into the details, but it, it ended up all the way at, at crack cocaine and heroin. And I, I went through a very, very powerful and important phase with psychedelics. And I tell people, you know, cannabis, not all good, not all bad. Psychedelics, not all good, not all bad. You call yourself the Psychedelic Mom podcast. I wonder why you do that. Well, I look at the word psychedelic as meaning soul revealing. And I think anything in life can be soul revealing. And I do believe that psychedelics are tools when used in a certain way that give people an experience that sometimes is that God shot that AA talks about, a moment of real deep understanding of something they didn't have access to or couldn't at that time have access to, so might amplify also trauma. And I believe that underneath you're talking about addiction and yoga is really the process of moving from darkness to light, an awakening process. So I look at psychedelics as one tool but life is psychedelic, motherhood is psychedelic, yoga is psychedelic. I think we have to be really careful about psychedelics as a magic pill for awakening. I don't believe that. Or recovery. I think it can be a tool for uh, doing deep trauma work 
with somatic inquiry and in the right container. But I think in some ways, what you were talking about, moving darkness to light, the frequencies, how the spirituality of addiction and recovery come together, I think really as a psychedelic mom, it's the same thing. I'm really looking at what is a holistic way of approaching well-being and awakening? So I did notice that you put out a video about psychedelics because people must have been asking you. And in the video, you said, you know, there are people in the audience that have very strong opinions about this. Are you hearing more and more from people about medicines like Ibogaine for addiction? And in your field, what are you seeing? Are you seeing that this has been helpful for people? So uh, again, not black and not white, not good and not bad. We need to get out into that field Rumi was speaking about where he said, out beyond wrongdoing and right doing, there's a field and I'll meet you there. The field of unknowing. <laughs> yes. Let's go out there. I'm not an advocate for or against the use of psychedelics in a person's journey. First and foremost, I am for freedom. And a person should have the right, if they want to, to go down that road. It would be best if they went down that road with a deep understanding of their motivations, what they would hope to get from it, what they might expect, who they're doing this with, and especially what they're going to do one day at a time for the rest of their life after this experience. So with that understanding, I'll say I have seen people who have really, really been stuck in depression or destructive behavior, self-harming behavior. I've seen them have positive experiences. I've, I've been hearing about them lately from family members and close friends. So I'm in the conversation with people and they know that I'm coming with a very open mind and I want to know. And I want to understand, tell me about it. What's good? What's working? What are the pitfalls? And so I've seen people have positive experiences with psilocybin, ketamine. I'm not trying to put it down. I haven't heard from people who have had really positive experiences, ultimately around microdosing. In other words, doing that on a daily basis for a period of weeks, months, or years. In fact, I've seen a lot of people get hurt there in the field of recovery. So that's a good thing to know. I could say the same thing about some people who've been on antidepressants. For some people, that's been helpful. For other people, it's been very hurtful. Both things are true. And so it's not like you can't snap your fingers and say, this is all good or this is all bad. So every individual is going to have to become a scientist of their own life. Once again, you're in the power seat unless you, you outsource your power to somebody else and then you're really in trouble. So you have to understand with psychedelics, it's a big experience. People are, are taking ketamine blindfolded with a person there and you're in a bed and you can have music and you're having your experience and they're, they're tracking you or, or same with psilocybin. I have no experience with this. None. I can't speak from experience about that experience because the idea of me taking psilocybin mushrooms or LSD or any, any psychedelic and closing my eyes or being inside indoors is absolutely contrary to my entire soul and my entire being. But for therapeutic uses, which is what this is, I have seen people have good outcomes. I also have seen a few people have very painful relapses and have to let go of they're continuing work with the psilocybin or the ketamine. So I've seen both things. So again, it's not all good, not all bad. I have seen people who were absolutely stuck get unstuck. You brought up Ibogaine, which is uh, Iboga. There are Iboga clinics that you can go to outside of the United States because it's illegal in the United States. Uh, in Mexico is where most people go. And for sure, in my, in my own close friendship and family, People have gone to have that experience with Iboga, which is a psychedelic, which helps you to get off opiates and helps you to, it sort of immediately propels you into a sober state, let's say. And then again, the work continues from there. But I've seen people have positive experiences. I've seen a few people rely on it and it didn't end up being the thing that they ultimately needed. They went out and relapsed again or, or, or started into certain behaviors again. And they recognized, wow, even though that was a profound experience, 
It didn't last as the thing that was going to be the medicine for the rest of my life. There's no escaping this human condition. So these psychedelics can be used. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm a, how could I not be a proponent for the person who says, I'd like to have a psychedelic experience. I want to take mushrooms, for example. What do you think of that? If they're coming to me, I'd say, okay, if that's what you've decided, let's help you to have the most incredible experience and learn everything you can from it. Integrate that into your life. And then let's check in in a couple of months and see how you're doing. In the meantime, let's be working those steps. Let's be doing our yoga practice, our breathwork practice. Let's be taking a look, especially at how our relationships are going in the world. Are we evolving forward? That's really what has to be happening. And finally, on this note, I want to say there is a group of people that don't want to take psychedelics. Yeah. They're not drawn to it. No. It's just not the thing for them. And what I want to say to those people is you're not missing anything. As the hype will have you believe, the billions of dollars that are, are spent and going to be spent on advertising for how important it is that you have this experience. Are you stuck in your life? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you stressed? Well, try ketamine therapy. Try this therapy. Yes, you can try those therapies. And there are other ways. I had extraordinary experiences, several hundred psychedelic experiences. Wow. When you go in, you go in big. <laughs> yeah. I really went there um, between the ages of 14 and 24. And so I was a very, very young man, a boy, and then a, a young man. And I, like I said, I, psychedelics, not all good, not all bad. I had extraordinary experiences. I'm so glad I had those experiences. I don't regret those experiences. Whereas I could tell you, I regret ever doing cocaine or heroin. Uh, I truly do. Uh, or alcohol for that matter. But I, I have always found that one can use a process or an experience, a process like, let's say the 12 steps or an experience, let, let's say a, a psychedelic experience with psilocybin or LSD or, or any of the host of DMT, peyote, on, on and on. You can have that experience and it's best not to make the experience or the process your life. Now, if you can get a life as a result of the process or the experience, now that's the great, <laughs> that's amazing thing. So I say that even to 12-step people. I'm like, this can be a way of life, but don't make the 12 steps your life. Mm. Don't make psychedelics your life, your identity. It's a trap. You can use those experiences for whom that's appropriate and under the right context and the right situation. Those experiences can be helpful to you at certain times in your life. Maybe. Not everybody. But always the piece that matters the most is the entire rest of your life. So you have that experience. And in the case of psychedelics, it's unbelievably profound. And like it's nuclear, seismic. And because of it's such an intense experience, it can overshadow like the need to continue doing work. Or people can have the mistaken sort of sense of, well, I've seen it now. Mm -hmm. I'm awake now. I'm awake. I've been given the, I've been shown what, what, what it is. And what you're, you're subverting there are like your, all the shadows and, and all of the traumas and all the things that, that you're going to want to work on and get to work on in this life so that you can truly be free. So in my case, I took hundreds of psychedelic trips. And frankly, I ended up, after all of that, I ended up a severe drug addict. So it wasn't the thing, the medicine that was ultimately going to do it, but it did give me a vision of something greater that would serve me later in my life, along with other experiences, which were not, not chemical, but more music related or other forms of spirituality, certainly yoga. Talk about psychedelic. I mean, for people who really get into Kundalini Kriya and meditation and breath work, it's like th there could be nothing more psychedelic than that. It's an interesting conversation because even on my podcast, just talking about if we superimpose the Western model on earth medicines that we're not meant to be a magic pill or a pill for depression, we're going the wrong way. It's not the way to go. It's not a magic pill. It's not going to solve all your problems. You can gain some insight. You can do some deep trauma work, but I think ultimately what you're talking about is a level of freedom and a freedom coming from a holistic approach to wholeness. 
So how would you define freedom? Well, I'll tell you, I sat with the late, great Ram Das, who was one of the great spiritual teachers of our time. And his message was, be here now. And his message was, be love now. And we talked about psychedelics. And he said, when I would take psychedelics, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the gist of it. Um, when I would take psychedelics, I felt like I was in the room with Jesus. But at the end of the night, I had to leave the room. Now, with presence, which he derived through yoga and meditation, with presence, I'm with Jesus all the time. And then he said, yeah. <laughs> that's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, that's, that's it. I love it. I think it's true. I love his, one of my favorite quotes is also from him, we're all just walking each other home. And that home is back to the return of that sacred, whatever you want to call it, spirit, Christ consciousness within. And of course, Christ consciousness is Buddha consciousness, is Mohammed consciousness, is Talmud consciousness, <laughs> and Sikh consciousness, and Zoroastrian consciousness, and... Mm -hmm. The goddess consciousness and... Goddess consciousness and earth consciousness. And the truth is the truth is the truth. Exactly. And it doesn't really matter to me or anyone in the 12-step world how you get to it. You can take any path as long as it's leading to the truth. The pitfall is to, is to mistakenly get onto a path where it, it detours you off of the road to the truth. And that happens, and then we, we learn through suffering, and we get back on the road, and we keep going as long as we keep going. But it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, or a Sikh, anything, or nothing, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. There is a truth, you can access it, and it also lives within you. And when you access that truth within you, that's the game, that's the name of the game. That's it, then you can never go back, you can never relapse. There's no going back from there. <laughs> and you don't need anything to get there. You don't. You don't need anything or anyone. But you get to engage in the world in these beautiful ways. And we are social creatures and you get to be with beautiful people and live this beautiful life to its fullest. And especially you get to be of service. So you're going to be helping other people to realize their own truth and to connect with that deepest truth that's within them. And that's, that's where the action is. So... I'm advocating for that at this point. And so I like to be the guy who's, I'm not doing any plant medicines. I'm not doing any, any ceremonies of that nature, but I'm deeply into ritual. I'm deeply into getting high every day naturally. And uh, we have a very deep well that we can dig into to, to move ourselves along this evolutionary path, which is essentially the point of everything. I think whatever it is, whatever the path is that takes you to the breath, to the mat, who knows what that is? Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's one experience with an earth medicine. Who knows? But what was the change point for you to get help finally? Well, uh, tremendous suffering uh, brought me to my bottom, my first bottom, I would say. And uh, it's, uh, it's a bottom of desperation, not having a move, essentially being cornered I don't know what my next move is. Oh my God. No money, no people, no opportunities, just cut off, stuck in the basest addiction. And uh, I picked up the phone and called my father. And long story short, I essentially told him the truth. It took a while. <laughs> I got, I didn't know what I was going to say to him. I was like, oh, dad, you know, school's not going well. You know, life's not going well. People not going well. My girlfriend broke up with me, da, 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 on and on and on. And uh, he was like, I know you're on drugs. I know you're on drugs again and you need help. You have to get help. And I said, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And he started to cry. Oh. It's the second time in my life that my father had cried in front of me. And something happened there, an opening. Call it grace. Call it love. Call it surrender. And I said, you know, stop crying. I Please stop crying. I'll, I'll go. I'll go get some help. And off I went. So I sometimes tell people, and I wrote in my book, that I, I found recovery on the tears of my father. And that, that really is true to a certain extent, because I just had no other choice. And there he was, 
And uh, I owe him and my mother and my family, truly, um, my life for that first. They were there. They didn't abandon me. Um, they were there and uh, they were able to get me to treatment. I went to Hazelden up in Minnesota. And that was the first foray into recovery. It was 1989, July of 1989. Yeah. What a vulnerable moment to have with your father at such a low in your life that created the catalyst for great change. Yes. And of course, everything came from that. And from after Hazelton, how would you compare what you do now, your program as compared to Hazelton? And did you have some relapses? So I got out of Hazelton and they were very clear that I was going to need to go to a program. They suggested Alcoholics Anonymous. So I, I started to go to meetings they had suggested and, and were very clear that it would be very good if I got a sponsor and worked the 12 steps, but I didn't do that. I just went to meetings for the next year. And I, I kind of treated recovery in that first year like, here's my life and over here is my recovery. I'm going to leave my life, go over here to my meeting, check a box, and then return to my life. So there was this very compartmentalized approach to recovery, which doesn't serve very well. Mm. I didn't understand yoga. I didn't understand that everything is all connected and that you couldn't compartmentalize anything from your life. It's all your life, <laughs> no matter what. Even treatment. You, when you're in treatment, people think, well, I, this is, I'm in a timeout program. I'm in some weird, you know, from my life. But no, no, this is your life. And you want to make the most of it. I would say I wasn't making the most of my recovery. And so after a year, about a year and four days, I relapsed. I started to smoke pot, drink a little bit. And over the next year, I was in and out, in and out, wanting to get sober again, but not able to do it. In that year, my mother died. Mm -hmm. And that was very difficult. I was just 24 years old. She was just 51. Wow. And uh, that was incredibly difficult. But in June of that year, 1991, I would get sober for the last time. I have reached another bottom in recovery, if you will. And this time it was, I'd call it the bottom of self-disgust. Before I was just desperate. It's painful. Yeah. I was like, okay, I've had enough of me. I've had quite enough of me. And that's the place you want every addict to get to. You want them to be sick of themselves so that they can really honestly make surrender and make change. So the long story is I got a sponsor. I worked the 12 steps. In August of that year, just three months sober, I walked into my first yoga class and my life changed forever. It really is a before and after kind of thing. My life changed forever at that point. So what's different between what I learned in treatment and what I learned, what I do in Recovery 2.0? On the one hand, a treatment was an amazing experience and I don't want to belittle it or demean it in any way. There were extraordinary counselors at Hazelden. I think there still are generally speaking today. In those days, when you got sober, you, you went to treatment, you had a choice much more than you do now of not using drugs in treatment. Nowadays, they, they pretty much, some large percentage of people that end up in treatment are going to be put on some kind of medication. And um, in those days, you could say, I don't want to be on any drugs. I want to really try to get sober. And they would let you do that, generally speaking. If you were a severe heroin addict, they might give you something like clonopin, which is a benzodiazepine, just to, to calm your nerves. But they'd give that to you for about seven days, and then you'd be done. There was none of this Suboxone. There was no, uh, they weren't putting you on methadone in, in drug and alcohol treatment, to my knowledge. They were helping you to get sober and to get recovery. And that was the emphasis, was the spiritual program of the 12 steps. And starting to eat and starting to, to sleep and starting to do the fundamentals, while at the same time, intensive therapy one-on-one -on -one and in groups. And that's how we did it for the first part. And then 30 days or 40 days later, you'd be out of treatment. And now you had to, this is the hard part, right? You're leaving the nest. And now you have to do something like meetings. And hopefully you'd understand that recovery was a jackpot, that you had hit the jackpot, but you needed to, you needed to really embrace it into your life. And I, I couldn't do that for another two years fully. What's different for me is I, I approach in, uh, the 12 steps in a very, very broad way. 
I, I actually rewrote the 12 steps for language that might be more and more accessible. I should say even more empowering or even more accessible because the language was very antiquated and it, it, it really rubbed some people the wrong way or even worse, they couldn't understand it. And so I feel like the 12 steps are genius. There's a real beautiful process in there of personal inventory and reconciliation and reparation of, of damage that you've caused ownership of your whole life and then ultimately service to another person. That's an incredible thing. I mean, nobody would be against these things, but you, you start using the word God and throwing that word around and all of a sudden people are like, uh Oh, <laughs> what am I into here? <laughs> Some kind of cult. Have I entered a cult? Right. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's not a cult, but it is a culture. It's very important to, to say that it's not a cult. In fact, it's the opposite of a cult. A cult tries to get a group of people to believe one thing and to live that thing. The 12 steps don't ask you to believe in something. You're given the space to choose for yourself what you would believe in as a form or a symbol of a higher power. And, and we're told it can be anything you choose. It doesn't have to be Jesus or Muhammad or this sage or that sage or this God or that God. It could be anything, anything at all. You could even choose the group of people who are sober. And they, they you know, they joke around in, in 12 steps when they say group of drunks, G-O-D. That's my God is this group of drunks who are getting sober. And why not? You know, wh wherever the power comes from wherever the power. So I like the spaciousness of that. And yoga, of course, doesn't ask anybody to believe anything. In fact, yoga says, reflect upon your own direct experience. If there's any purpose for a teacher or a guide, it's to help you reflect upon your own direct experience. So it's not a belief system. It's a system of experience. You need to come into an experience of a power greater than yourself for yourself. And it, it can be done. There's a process. Do you think that one of the things that happens with addiction, whatever the addiction is, is that we become disembodied? And one of the ways that yoga or other practices, as far as coming back into the body, coming back into your senses, is a way to first have maybe the experience of really meeting the present moment like you haven't before. So I'm going to answer your question about embodiment by talking about addiction as an entity. Addiction is, a, is an energy. I say it's, a, it's, it's an entity that has an, a frequency of its own, a vibration. I call it, I literally call it the addiction frequency. It works on a human being at four levels. Mind, so anyone who has struggled with addiction, they understand the affliction of the mind. The body, it works on the physical body, it works on the endocrine system, the endocrine system, meaning your chemical or hormonal system in the body, it tilts that, changes that a lot. The functioning of the brain, neurochemistry, the nervous system. So that communication of that neurochemistry to parts of the body intersecting with the hormones and the chemical system of the body, addiction tweaks all of that, all of it. So mind and body, and then of course, spirit. So our relationship with what is with the truth of all truths, that relationship gets bent and confused and misinterpreted. Our longing for love, our longing to love and to be loved, our longing for meaning and purpose in the world, we lose that in addiction. Those are all spiritual longings, mind, body, spirit. And then finally, addiction works on our perception of time. Addiction places us firmly and squarely in the past and in the future. The only thing left is to use your memory to try to bring about something in the future that you believe will be pleasing. So you go past, future, past, future, past, future, but you never have a present moment. Addiction does all of this to a human being. In order to recover from addiction, you have to have a holistic method that treats you at the level of mind, body, spirit, and time. And that's called yoga. It is the solution. I don't know of anything in the entire world that can bring a person to the truth of themselves 
unlock their spiritual potential, unlock their, their intellectual and mental capacities, calm their mind and heal and strengthen, bringing vitality and immunity into the body like yoga. So the embodiment that you're talking about is not in the 12 steps. It doesn't exist there. And that's okay. That's not to put it down. It's just to say the 12 steps are specific. They build a relationship with a, a power greater than yourself. They create a spiritual experience in the person that goes through them. That is true. I've had that and countless people have had that experience, but they do not address the body. They do not address the breath. They do not address the experience of being a human being in the holistic way that is necessary, which is why, in my opinion, ultimately, if you make them your life, you're going to be missing some very, very, very important vitamins. If you bring yoga into it and you work the 12 steps, that now is a complete system. Yoga works at the level of mind, body, spirit, and time. So it can move you out of the frequency of addiction. These are the things that I do differently than what I did in treatment. And they're for people, they're for anybody who is, has their two feet underneath them and is in recovery, meaning they don't fight anymore the idea that they need to live a life free of addiction in general, free of these behaviors that bring negative consequences into your life that, that you keep continuing. They don't fight that anymore. They know those people are in recovery. Now we want to get them the best tools, the best practices, the best ethics and principles for them to be able to see the fullest bloom of their life in recovery. So that's what's changed in the last, you know, I'm sober now 32 years. Recovery 2.0 has been around for 10. So we're 10 years into this experiment and it's going unbelievably well. And, and as I told you at the beginning, my, my only frustration is that we can't reach more people and turn them onto this holistic pathway, which of course also involves community and, and love and connection between people who are also walking the same road as you. We call it the path of discovery. So in this path, I'm curious about, I'm sure you know Gabor Mate's work and the talk of trauma and how trauma is at the core of addiction. Does your program address trauma or do you feel like yoga is also the healing path for healing that trauma? Different people need different things at different times. We are not a, a solution to every problem that every human being has. If we were, we'd probably be having a different conversation. Yoga is, especially yoga in the way that we are putting it forth, is incredibly transformative and helpful to move a person beyond their traumas, beyond their stuck issues, beyond their, their stuckness. Yoga also helps a person, in my opinion, if, if yoga is comprehensive, it's also helping you to refine your story, the way that you see yourself. In, your intellect is being refined through the process of yoga. You're becoming a wiser person, otherwise it's not yoga. So in that movement towards wisdom and that movement towards practice and presence, you're going to start to see that the old stories have no relevance any longer. So there's an aspect of trauma once it's been worked on, and that, that might be talk therapy combined with physical somatic practices such as yoga or qigong, meditation, these kinds of things. That's very powerful. I advocate for that combination. I do believe the story needs to be told. I do believe we need to be seen and heard, and it helps to have a wise counselor help you to work out some of the, the things that have taken place. As a person who has experienced trauma in his life, I want to encourage people and invite them into the understanding that they will have to work out their trauma as adults. We're not talking about children. When we've been abused as children, we're going to need a lot of love and a lot of healing and a lot of helping along the way. No question. As adults, we're going to have to ultimately work out our traumas if we find that we're in a painful existence. And it's very important that we not use trauma as a crutch. And I say that, you know, delicately because I know that some people sincerely have been 
sexually traumatized, physically trauma, emotionally traumatized in horrible, horrible ways. And I, I, I don't diminish that in any way. What we want for those people is to heal those traumas and not hold on to them. Otherwise, they become a victim of that trauma for a lifetime. And there was an original event, and it could have been catastrophic and horrible, that took place 25 years ago. And if it's still affecting your life today, we would like to invite you into a process that will help you release that and be free from that finally. And I believe anybody can heal. And so, the, again, the practices of Kriya Yoga, comprehensive practices of yoga, breath, meditation, help a person to move beyond it. It's intense. It's not light work. You have to show up and, and you have to really practice and you have to be steady. But you can overcome all of these demons and set yourself free. So I'm, I'm concerned about the word trauma a little bit, to be honest. It's good to understand where some of our behavior is coming from. And it's really important that we not hold on to that trauma. Like my friend, um, Deborah, she wrote a book called The, Fifth, uh, the Missing Element. And uh, in that book, she said, you know, it's important that the story be told, but not that it be cemented into reality and worn as a badge of courage. We don't want this a story of our life to be the story of trauma. We want it to be the story of victory over that and the life we got to have by having victory over that. Just like I don't want to be remembered as a person who, wow, he, he was sober 32 years. Isn't that great? Well, maybe yes and maybe no. It's great if I've been able to develop a, a measure of, of joy, compassion, uh, kindness, purpose, love, contentment, especially in my life. Then it's great. The thing itself is not great. You know, it's nothing. It's the first step. You have to get sober. You have to let go of these substances and these addictive behaviors if you're going to move forward at all. So are you meeting everybody wherever they are on the path? No, we're not meeting everybody where they are. Decidedly, no. And there's this big conversation about you have to meet people where they are. You have to meet people where they are. And my thought is if you continually meet people where they are, you'll never get them to go where you'd like them to go. <laughs> and so, for example, I'm not in the convincing business. If someone says, you know, I really don't want to do this. I'm like, great. This is not for you. End of story. We're not trying to make anybody do anything. <laughs> you come here because you're inspired or you need to. And you know it in your heart, and then you get on the mat, you get in the circle, and we do it. On our podcast, I have a podcast called In the Circle with Tommy Rosen, and it's doing amazingly well, and people are getting a lot out of it. The point of it is, you can sit in that circle virtually and learn a lot and come to the understandings that you need to come to in order to do the next level of work that you're going to have to do in order to set yourself free. I want people to be free. It means so much to me. And um, I don't want people to stay stuck in their stories. I don't want them to stay stuck in their traumas. I don't want them to stay stuck in the frequency of addiction. So if you're, if you're willing to come with me and a group of people, a large global community of people who have decided to do this, we really have something for you that is transformative and amazing and just creates the most incredible healing and, and joy in this life. And uh, finally, I would say... On our retreats, we take people on retreat, you know, to Costa Rica, across the United States, Canada, Europe, and India. Every year in India, it's the most profound thing that we do. It's a two-week journey, spiritual journey to India, and we've really dug deep there over the last 12 years that we've been going. It happens in March every year. And by the way, if any of your listeners are curious, they should definitely apply. Um, I can give you the link for that to pass on to them. But when we take people on retreat with us, they can't be smoking. They can't be vaping. And people are like, are you crazy? You're going to turn off 50% of your audience. And I'm like, if you are smoking or vaping, you are in the frequency of addiction and you're not ready for this kind of trip. It will just be uncomfortable for you and you'll also be a threat to the other people. So we have to create a very safe and very high bar for people. So that's an example of how we don't necessarily meet people where they're at. You know, this is what we do. And if you want to do this, then these are the things that are going to be necessary. 
we'll help you stop smoking. If you say, I want to come on your retreat and I need to stop smoking. Oh my God, we will move mountains now to help you. That's the person we want to work with. But if they say, you know, is it okay if I vape on the trip? It's like, no, under no circumstance. No. Uh, what if I just do it outside? No. Uh, what if nobody sees me do it? And, and what if you never know? No, no. I'm sure too, you can feel the addiction frequency. It's like a hunger. It's a, it's a desire. Can I ask you this way and get a yes? Can I ask you this way and get a yes? Yeah. It's just not in alignment with what we're doing. So I'm curious in this time in history, do you feel like addiction is way up? I just simply think it's part of society. It's part of what we are promoting. And yet, if people really, really understood the outcome of their actions, and you could see forward in time and see the destruction that you were causing through destructive behaviors, I do believe you would change. There seems to be a disconnect for people between cause and effect. It's just a question of consciousness. Can you continue to behave in ways that are hurting you or hurting others? If you're a conscious being, you couldn't do that. And so all of this, this conversation, everything we do, everything you do is geared towards waking a person up so that they can see like, wow, this, this behavior, this thing can't continue. And so each of us doing the work of awakening and, and trying to be better, trying to, to be more conscious beings, more helpful in the world, but also working on that on the inner scale and in the inner world that we have here is so important. So if somebody wanted to work with you, what are the different programs that you offer? We offer so much. Simply, we have an incredible membership, which I urge everyone and invite everyone to join. We've tried to make all of our services and products available on a daily basis to people at a, a very inexpensive way so that almost nobody could, could not afford it. So our membership is less than a dollar a day. We ask everybody to come and check that out. There's a week free, so you can dip a toe in and see if it feels right for you. Again, we're not right for everybody, but if we're right for people, they tend to know it pretty quickly. Like, okay, I'm into this. This is cool. Let's do some things. I'm not going to go through it. There's so, so much that we do together, and there's so many things there. You'll get it right away, and you can just join our membership. At, I'll send you the link, and you can and put that up for people. Our, our destination retreats are extremely powerful. Ultimately, I, I want to get with people in that format and in that setting. It's where we can make the most progress sort of immediately. And then we have a variety of online programs. It all begins with my book, Recovery 2.0. So if you haven't read that book, please buy the book or you can download it on Audible and listen to it. And that'll give you the sort of the inspiration and the language of what we're doing. And that will be a really deep dive for you. We also have a lot of online programming. Gosh, we have a course called Life Beyond Cannabis. And that's an amazing program that's six weeks long that will take someone in their process of wanting to let go of cannabis because it's such an important thing right now. So we have that program. We have the Life Upgrade program, which is a journey through my book, through videos and emails that you receive each day as you go through the book. That's a great program. Every year we do something called the food reset, which is we, we believe food and our relationship with food is so important for the journey. And so I just actually completed this week, the food reset with everybody live. We had, I guess we've, we've probably put a few thousand people through the program now over the years, which is incredible. And it is what it sounds like. It's a complete reset in the way you relate to food and, and uh, expanding your palate. Literally. It's so great. And you just said you, before you came on, you just been, you're in the midst of a fast. I am in the midst of a fast. That's personal. We don't do that in the food reset, but um, yeah, I'm doing a water fast now. I'm on day four and uh, it feels amazing and going really well. It's quite a, a spiritual and physical and mental uh, experience. And uh, yeah, there's a big discussion there about the value of cleansing and fasting and all these different things. And then we also have... Our podcast, as I said, In the Circle with Tommy Rosen. We have all of our social media channels. 
and we have a great YouTube channel. There's lots available there. So there's people can get involved at every level, whether that's, you know, you want to just dip a toe in, check out a video on YouTube or one of our social media posts or the podcast, or you want to join our membership and, and support yourself and support our community and be a part of it. And then last but not least, we have over 30 online live meetings every single week, Wow! which are free and open to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And those are just, they're our version of a 12 step meeting. So you follow our steps, you do a little meditation, and then there's a share. And then we have different formats. There's groups that are men only or women only. There's groups that focus on codependency and relationships. There are groups that focus on food. There are book studies where we study different books that we all are excited to read. Amazing. It's an incredible offering and it's free and just incredible and you should check it out. So I want to get you those links. It's r20.com. r20.com is our main website. And then everything is forward slash meetings, forward slash India 2024, forward slash welcome, which brings you into membership. There's all, all of it is there and we'll, we'll get you those links. For someone who's has someone in their life who's suffering from addiction, what is your advice for the family members or a parent that feels their child is addicted to cannabis or something like that? What would you, what would your advice be? It really depends because you're dealing with a wide variety of experiences and, and different families, dynamics, and different people. A child might be struggling with drinking. They're experimenting with drinking or cannabis. And a parent might overreact to that and do some of the things you would not want them to do. <laughs> if we're talking about parents and children, you said loved ones. So, I mean, basically you need help. You need to understand addiction and you need to understand what you're dealing with and what it looks like. And, and someone's going to probably need to help you through some of the options that are available if you want to seek professional help. It's the hardest thing to see someone you love suffer. And so if you want to position yourself, really position yourself to be useful to that person, you can't vilify them. You can't make them feel guilt or shame. You have to approach them in the spirit of trying to understand what's going on. You have to approach them in that spirit. And if, if your relationship is not good, but is struggling and your communication is, is difficult, it's also helpful to find professionals who, who the person can speak with if they're willing. If they're not willing to seek help, all you can do is shine a mirror for them and say, here's what I see happening. I'm concerned. I love you. I see you hurting yourself and I, and I wish you wouldn't. And I know that there are ways to get support and help and I would help you. I will support you in your recovery. I will support you in your journey to health. And if they say yes, that's a wonderful day. If they say no, you say, well, that's okay. I'm never, ever going to leave you. And anytime you want help for your recovery, I will help you with that. I will not support you in your destructive behavior or addiction or whatever the word is. But I will support you anytime and always here to converse, always here to have a conversation. The light is always on. Mm-hmm but I can't support you in continuing to hurt yourself because it's too painful. And uh, that's the best we can do with somebody who is not sure yet. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. And it's hard. It's really hard to face. You know, I, I'm 32 years sober and I'm an expert in the field. I rarely ever will go toe to toe with somebody in active addiction. Mm. I just won't do it. I need to be with someone else, at least two of us. I'll have the conversation, but eventually I'm going to lose that conversation. If a person wants to stay in addiction, I'm going to lose that conversation no matter. But I can plant some good seeds. I can plant some good seeds. And I can say some things that they will carry with them. I know they will carry it with them. And in some future moment, that, might, that seed might bloom. So that I can do. But I typically, I like to, to come at this, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Don't argue with the person who's in addiction. There's no, there's no point to that argument. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Such a beautiful, profound message. I know a lot of people are in need. A lot of people are suffering. And um, what a beautiful thing that you're doing in service to others. It's like when your trauma becomes your dharma, what is it? 
That's good. I like that. <laughs> thank you so much, Michaela, and blessings on all the work you're doing. And thank you for being a psychedelic mom. How cool. Beautiful. Well, it's a paradox. You know, it's back to so- sovereignty and truth, right? Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful, conscious, and loving world, please share this content with friends, family, and colleagues. You can follow this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use, and I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, you can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at the psychedelic mom. And remember, you are the medicine. <laughs>